today on Ag News Daily. How do we get in front of more people? How do we show them what we're doing on the farm and what other farms that we consult with are doing? And, and honestly, how do we just make agriculture better in our own special way? Corteva AgroScience provides cutting edge solutions for farmers worldwide. Learn more at Corteva.com. Wednesday, September 13th, 2023, Ag News Daily Edition, second day of Husker Harvest Days. Delaney, how are you doing? I'm good. What did you see yesterday, Tanner? You know, uh, it's a different feel. The show is different than Farm Progress, Quantity Classic, National Farm Machinery Show. Uh, it was a very laid back audience that attended. Uh, and there's a lot more, obviously, irrigation equipment being out here in Nebraska and much more livestock equipment. So that was kind of an interesting twist as you got to walk around the show. Any interesting conversations that you had? Oh, yeah, I got to have a, a couple of conversations. Like I said, the, the laid back atmosphere is interesting. I don't know if it's just, you know, being a, a couple of shows deep into the fall that the vendors are relaxed and, and maybe not as as uh, salesy but yes it was it was a lot of fun we've got a conversation with nutrient financial that we plan to air that really did a good job of explaining the difference between the financing that i offer as a banker and what captive financing from dealers actually is so that was a, a fun conversation got to talk with a member of the national corn growers association and nebraska's corn board uh, so yeah a couple good ones Awesome. Well, we can't wait to listen to those conversations, Tanner, but what do you say we jump into some news? Yeah, we can uh, get an update here on Hurricane Lee. The tropical is now prompted a tropical storm warning over Bermuda. It is expected to weaken over the next couple of days, which is good. So the system could remain large and dangerous. However, as of this morning, it's still a category three hurricane and it is looking to churn northwest in the open Atlantic. It was about 475 miles south-southwest of the island with maximum sustained winds of only 115 miles per hour today. On forecast, the center of Lee will pass west of Bermuda on Thursday and then will approach the coast of New England or the Atlantic Canada late this week. The eye of the storm is not expected to make landfall and it should decrease to a category two by the end of today. However, just the sheer size of the storm is still going to cause some significant issues to the coastal U.S. So that's the hurricane update. Well, Tanner, I'm assuming most of our listeners have probably chewed through the USDA's crop, or excuse me, WASD report as of yesterday. But in case they haven't, here's a quick update on yesterday's report. The September WASD was certainly a disappointment, Tanner, for pretty much everyone it comes across in the market here. We did see they lowered both yields for corn and soybeans. However, they did a couple other things here that really kind of counteracted against that. When you look at the balance sheet here and those lower yields, they dropped yield by about 1.3 bushels per acre, Tanner. So previously... As of the August report, we saw corn at a 175.1. In the September report, we saw yields drop to a 173.8. That's slightly above analyst expectations that came in at a 173.5. So not a big increase there. But the big kicker was that USDA offset this increase with 
an increase in acres in harvested acres of roughly 800,000 acres. And uh, Ted Seifert was quoted from the Zaner group as saying that there's a few reasons we saw this magical appearance of acres. He said a lot of that really became known because of increased uh, in crop insurance guarantees with the 591 crop insurance guarantee and lower input costs in the spring. He said that encouraged more corn planting. So even with a yield cut, production in corn ending stocks were raised 20 million bushels. For soybeans, the picture is a little more neutral there. The yield estimate came in at a 50.1 bushel per acre. That's down from the 50.9 bushel per acre that was in the August report, but slightly above analyst expectations of a 50.2. The USDA also reported a very slight increase in acreage, but unlike the corn side of things, USDA chose to cut demand estimates for soybeans to offset the drop in supply cut it cut crushed by 10 million bushels and they also cut exports by 35 million bushels tanner so all in all they're pretty neutral to bearish report for the balance sheet and it's interesting how many of our marketing monday conversations actually have talked a little bit about that it didn't seem to be much of a surprise to very many people USDA also released that dairy farmers who were forced to dump their milk during a natural disaster are eligible for up to $250,000 in compensation from the new milk loss program. On Monday, the USDA released this press release that covers losses from 2020, 2021, 2022, whether that's from drought, wildfires, hurricanes, floods, derechos, excessive heat, winter storms, freezes, or smoke exposure. They stated here in their press release, frequent and widespread weather-related disasters over the past three years, over the past three years, have impacted the U.S. dairy. The head of the Farm Service Agency says the milk loss program will help offset economic losses by producers who were left no other choice but to dump their milk during these disasters. So that's nice to see a little extra support there. I'd be curious to see what some of the milk association members' thoughts are. In that area, another industry update, growers from both the Freestone and Clingstone peaches in California are expected to harvest a larger crop than last year. According to the organization, an official Sacramento-based California Canning Peach Association told Farm Bureau that this year's harvest will likely exceed the preseason estimate of 212,000 tons. They would be an increase from the 204,000 tons that they harvested last year. The USDA forecasts this is grown, the, that this crop, which is grown for the fresh market, could have been up to 260,000 tons, which is far from what the estimate is coming in at. So a couple of updates there also from the USDA. Well, Tanner, we saw a lawsuit starting to shape, take shape here as environmental groups are suing the EPA over the regulation of large livestock feeding operations. A lawsuit was filed in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco aiming to compel the EPA to increase their oversight of large livestock feeding operations. This lawsuit was initiated first back in 2017 after the EPA declined two petitions submitted that year. 
which called for more stringent regulation of major cattle, hog, and chicken feeding operations in the United States. This legal action seeks to reconsider the proposed changes that we saw in that declined petition, including the types of farms that would be subject to regulations and which discharges are exempt from oversight. But in response to the rejected petitions, the EPA indicated it would conduct an assessment of the existing programs governing these operations and would determine if revisions were necessary. So this research from the EPA here will take place over the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, that's interesting. Over the next 12 to 18 months and beyond for up to seven years, Pepsi and Walmart announced that they have a new joint venture aimed at putting sustainable money or putting substantial money into regenerative agriculture. The United States and Canada will now be able to work with this partnership. The collaboration is scheduled to last seven years and be approximately $120 million in investment. Delaney, their goal is to work on 2 million acres of farmland to reduce 4 million tons of greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. This is another trust version of what successful sustainability looks like. At PepsiCo, they have worked to partner with Walmart to put this together. Farmers that know their business better than everybody else are the partners that we need to work with, is what the press release stated. The PepsiCo and Walmart program will provide substantial support to farmers to make crucial changes to their business. They understand that farming is not a one-size-fits-all program, and this is part of PepsiCo's positive plan that by 2030, the company is aiming to help drive the use of its regenerative practice up to 7 million acres of farmland and reduce greenhouse gas emissions by more than 40%. The Ag America Senior Director for Partner Relations stated that there is some skepticism, though, over this release, Delaney. It's not that much money when you think about it on a per-farmer basis. It's naive to think that the investment is large enough to make a, a sizable impact in the industry when they're looking to spread it over so many acres. So another corporate partner looking to make headlines. The last pieces I have, Delaney, is just the headlines coming out of Russia and Ukraine. The North Korean leader Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin met yesterday at the Russian Space Center. U.S. officials warned Putin that they could use the summit to seek arms for his invasion of Ukraine, but Putin signaled that he would help Kim's space program. So quite an interesting twist as to what they stated the meeting was for. The Ukrainian war has left Putin internationally isolated and is in need of fresh ammunition. Stated that 18 months of war has been a hit on Russia's stand. Kim Jong-un said that he would always be standing with Russia during a press release. <clears throat> However, on the ground, Ukrainian forces attacked the Crimean city of Sebastopol, a major base of the Russian Black Sea. Russian officials said at least 24 people were injured and two ships were damaged. So that's what I've got for the updates today, and I'm out of headlines. I've got a few Russia-Ukraine updates here as well, I guess mostly focused on the Ukrainian side of things. As we are nearing the deadline here for the export ban that the EU placed on Ukrainian grain, 
Poland, Hungary, Romania, Slovakia, and Bulgaria are still very much in favor of extending that grain ban, which ends on Friday, September 15th. And Poland has been as vocal and as bold to say that even if the European ban is not extended, Poland will take action to prevent grain to come into their borders, which is not positive words there for Ukraine. And that's not going to set well with Brussels. So as we look at that extension that might be coming, it sounds like the EU is getting a lot of pressure from those countries. And Tanner, we should find out very soon whether or not the EU votes in favor of extending that grain ban. But currently the ban applies to a variety of Ukrainian crops, including, of course, uh, wheat, rapeseed, maize, sunflower seeds, and others as well. So just a quick update that I had there on that situation. Very good. Appreciate that. It's probably all I'm left to do today is to look what the markets are doing in the overnight. Absolutely. As we are still trading in the overnight, recording a little early so we can each get off to our days ahead. December corn is up four cents at 480 and a half, chewing through yesterday's WASDE report. The November soybean contract is flirting with neutral in the overnights here at 1346 and a quarter. December hard red winter wheat up nine and three quarter cents at 740 and a half. December spring wheat up five and a half cents at 784 and a half. And Chicago December wheat up nine and a half cents at 597. A quick look at where livestock ended yesterday and we'll open here this morning. October live cattle shed seven and a half cents at a buck 84.15. October feeder cattle shed 20 cents to close at 261.25. And October lean hogs added $2.72 and a half cents yesterday. We'll open at 85.27 and a half. Tanner, kicking things over to a conversation that I know you were certainly nerding out on, chatting with Evan Shout of Farm Coach to talk farm branding, farm profitability, and so many other great topics. At Corteva AgriScience, we believe that when we work together, we grow together. We believe innovative agriculture solutions are found in the lab and in the field, applying real insights from farmers with our global R&D knowledge to create a strong suite of innovations across seed and crop protection. We believe in constantly challenging ourselves on how to bring all of our solutions together, giving farmers the tools to address today's needs and tomorrow's challenges. We believe in what we do because we believe in what farmers do, and together we thrive. Corteva AgriScience, keep growing. Well, we're taking things up north today to chat with Canadian farmer and co-founder of Farmer Coach with Evan Shout. Evan, thanks so much for joining us this morning. You bet. Happy to be here. So Evan, let's dig in here to Farmer Coach. I think that's such a fun and unique name of the company that you helped co-found, but what is it you guys do in the ag space? So I, I think it, to, to talk about it, we have to go back a little bit. So when I left public accounting and started working with uh, Christian and Hebert Grain Ventures on the farm, we we always knew that 
primary producer agriculture needed a little more training and education. We just couldn't find it anywhere. So about two years in, we decided that we'd done enough stuff on the farm and we'd seen enough stuff in our careers as CPAs that we almost wanted to start sharing with people. And, and so we kind of hit the professional speaking tours and did that side of it. And then we kept getting questions on it. It was nice to hear you talk about it, but how do we do it ourselves? So it kind of stemmed from that of how do we get in front of more people? How do we show them what we're doing on the farm and what other farms that we consult with are doing? And, and honestly, how do we just make agriculture better in our own special way? Hey, it sounds like Delaney, you found a guest that's near and dear to my heart. As a banker, as a banker and, and financial individual that created a podcast for the same exact reason. So that's <laughs> exciting. Have you always had a background in agriculture or was your background in finance purely to begin with? No, I, I grew up on the family farm, about a 4,000 acre farm up here in Saskatchewan. And honestly, like most kids my age, that wasn't the greatest time to be farming. And so I got told to go get an education and go do something else. So I ended up going and getting my CPA and my accounting designation just to end up back on the family farm, to tell you the truth. So it, it kind of backfired in my, my parents' face, so to speak. So ended up uh, going back and farming and being a public accountant full-time. And then one day decided to go full-time farming on the family farm. And that was great for a few years. And then we, we actually had our oldest son and he was diagnosed with autism. So rural Saskatchewan is not the best place for special needs. So I decided to go back into public accounting. And that's kind of where I thought I would be for the rest of my life. And then one of my best friends decided that he would throw a monkey wrench in my plan. And the kind of the year that I thought I was going to make partner at the public accounting firm, I also got a job offer from as I said, one of my nearest friends and another CPA that had gone back to the farm. So five years later, I'm, I'm back farming, let's say it. I love that. And I think the best plans usually are ones that we did not plan for ourselves. But when you look at, you know, making that transition back, and then now you're starting and helping build farmer coach, it sounded like you had a lot of farmers coming to you and asking you a lot of questions and to help really build this out. So how did that feedback from them really lead and shape what is farmer coach today? So I think it did it in two different ways. The first way is just the, the finance and CPA side of it. It's so farming up until the last couple of decades was, was never really a high finance, high business. It was more the lifestyle and with obviously the way equity and land and other things and cost of production have increased, that the finance side has become front and center. So, so I think that was part of it was that our CPA background as well as the farming background really allowed us to kind of explain finance and business and farming from a different perspective, almost from a producer perspective rather than just the professional side. And then the second part was obviously both Christian and I consider ourselves entrepreneurs. We started our own businesses and, and that's the part of agriculture. I think that is still missing is that we have a group of primary producers that kind of fell into entrepreneurship and, and most of them don't even realize that they're entrepreneurs. So it, it's that side of the mindset and planning and strategy and, and honestly running your own successful businesses that, that I think hasn't been implemented in agriculture. So that was one of our main concerns and main pushes was just the entrepreneurship side of agriculture, of, of building your own business and not just treating it like a lifestyle, but actually treating it like a business. I love what you're saying. That's one of the things that we preach is we want our listeners to, 
to run their farm more like a business and less like just the way grandpa did it. So it's exciting to hear, but I, I want to hear your take on branding. If you're talking about entrepreneurship and running a farm like it's a small business, how essential is it to create and build a brand? So th this is, it's actually interesting you ask that. So this, this spring, I was sitting with one of our consulting clients and we, we talk about branding with most of our organizations because A, we want to get the story of agriculture out there. Obviously, it, it's big in the public perception. But B, if, if you're going to create a business, you need the brand with it. I mean, we all know Nike. We all know Apple. Their logos, their name, what they stand for, it, it's big. So talking with a consulting client, he says, well, I, I don't want a brand because if I go into town, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get negative feedback from my neighbors. And, and that one struck me a little bit is that there's not many industries where you get negative feedback by building your own business and, and being successful. So it's kind of that side of it is that we, we push the brand because we believe that not only is it good for human resources and, and you know, all those internal sides of it, but it's also good for the industry and, and the story of agriculture and, and government policy and everything else that having that brand and showing that agriculture is a true thriving business, thriving industry, it's important. So for us, the brand is huge. Obviously, we've got the farm brand, we've got the consulting brand, we've got the farmer coach brand. It, it For us, it, it's main center where most farms, honestly, you ask them if they have a website and they haven't even thought about it. Yeah, I, I think it seems like that's a challenge for a lot of farmers. And that's branding isn't really something that I think a lot of farmers are cognizant of as they're worried about all the other things and all the other hats they have to manage. Branding is probably one that's not even on their radar. So Evan, as you think about getting into that space, farmers probably don't have, you know, a marketing background or a digital background or a branding background. How do they make that first step to start that process? So, so I think for us, what it was, was I think we understood really early in our careers that the networks we have and the people we know is, is almost more important than even the business side of, of farming. So for us, obviously through all the businesses we have, it, it's, it's always been the people and the networks and the relationships that we have in place that have, have kind of driven us forward. So for us, that that's where it started was how do we reach these networks without, you know, having the Rolodex as, as they say. So most farms, I, I usually explain the starting point it's a website. It's, it's a place for you not to be humble. So what I mean by that is, is take the pictures and, and put them up and be proud of your business and get a logo. It, it, it's those just initial starting points. And then honestly, from there, it, it can go numerous directions. Social media, obviously there's good and bad sides to it, but I do push most farms to have some social media channels. And then honestly, it's, it's wear, wear your brand on your trucks, on your clothing, just nobody would say two words if you had a construction company in the city and, and all their employees were wearing their brand and their logo because it's advertising. We've never thought about it that way in agriculture. And, and honestly, we need to start thinking about it that way. You know, it's, I'm glad that you're mentioning that because there's a unique quality in agriculture that we don't like to boast. Most people don't like to brag. They're extremely proud of what they have but are afraid of public perception as well, more from their peers. So I'm glad that you're pushing them to, to brand their vehicles, to, to be able to be proud of what they've built and treat it like you've been saying, like a business. So when you 
do your consultation, are you focused on Canada or is this something that's available in North America? What's your reach? So initially when we started Farmer Coach, the, the assumption as with most small business was that we were going to be very local. So we, we expected an 80% to 100% just out of Saskatchewan. And what happened was there was only about half the producers in the groups actually came from the local Saskatchewan area. It, it got pushed out, obviously, across Western Canada. So we had lots from the other prairie provinces. And then we ended up with four or five out of the US. We had one come over from France, obviously a good story behind that. But it, it got more international traction than we expected. And I mean, I've had calls from some of the big conglomerates down the US of, of they'd like to get it down there. And I think what it is, is it's just that there's not a lot of education programs like it. And and that's not boasting. That's just in agriculture, we, we have the one-offs and, and this program is meant to be continual throughout the years is I want the producers in it today to be in it 20 years from now. And it's just, there's never been anything with that continuous learning curve on it. So I think it was unique in that way. So I, we are getting traction, obviously, on both sides of the border and, and to us, that, that's success, especially in year one. So that, that's kind of the locations we're looking at. So Evan, as you look at that future expansion mode, then how do you expand this and scale this into countries outside of North America? Good question. Now, now we're getting serious. <laughs> um, I, I think the, the biggest scale for our item is just is finding enough coaches in place. So, so what I mean by that is so Christian and I are both part of a program in Toronto for entrepreneurs. It's called Strategic Coach. And most of the, the mentors that are there and, and part of the mediators, they're actually ex-participants in the program that have, have believed in the program so much that they've come back and are, are teaching the same tools and resources. So for us, I think what it is, it, it's more a time than anything is I want some of the people that come into the program to believe in it so strongly that they become actual coaches of it. And they, they've taken the resources, they've seen them work, they've, they've implemented some of the entrepreneurial stuff. And they're seeing such a payback that they actually want to be part of the program and, and get it moving. So for us, that's the economies of scale part of it is that Honestly, there's not a lot of back-end work other than content, which honestly, with the, with the amount of agriculture information these days and data, content's not really hard to come up with because it's such a vast industry. It's more or less getting people on, you know, on our side of the coin, on the education side, and then, then going from there. Well, hey, it sounds like you might have uh, potential three new coaches here, part of the Farm for Profit team, if you're interested. <laughs> because I love, love what you've said, and I'm sure our listeners do too. So now, if they're curious and they want to reach out, what's the best way for them to contact you? Probably the website's the easiest, is if you go to farmercoach.ca, you, you'll get all the information on the courses themselves, the instructors, you know, what, what and why we built it. So that'll give you a pretty good background. And then it does give you the contact information if you want to reach out. As I said, we're, we're solely in Saskatchewan right now for location, but the plan is not to stay in Saskatchewan. It's more or less where the demand is. And it's, it's an easy course to just move into cities because honestly, most of it is just pick it up and, and take it there and rent a room and, and go at it. So it's, there's not a lot of logistics behind it. So it does give us that freedom. Awesome. Well, Evan, thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast. We certainly appreciate your insight and this has been a fun conversation. 
At Corteva AgriScience, we believe that when we work together, we grow together. We believe innovative agriculture solutions are found in the lab and in the field, applying real insights from farmers with our global R&D knowledge to create a strong suite of innovations across seed and crop protection. We believe in constantly challenging ourselves on how to bring all of our solutions together, giving farmers the tools to address today's needs and tomorrow's challenges. We believe in what we do because we believe in what farmers do, and together we thrive. Corteva AgriScience, keep growing. Well, there you go, listeners. You can see why I was excited during that conversation. What a great mission and a great vision for agriculture to help people grow. So hopefully you found some value in it and uh, hopefully you will be back with us again tomorrow. We've got two more shows to share with them this week, right Delaney? Absolutely Tanner, but with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.